also just want to say thank you to my wife and to my two girls. Um, I know it's uh, for those that uh, keep score, Deacon McManus, it's been a while since I've opened up that way, but I've got to tell you this morning, uh, they were visiting some family this weekend and I did not expect to see them. So as I was in the back praying, it, it just kind of came over me and I just sent them a text and said, well, I'm going to miss not looking out and seeing your faces masked up as they are this morning, but seeing your faces and usually one of them will like it and say something or respond and didn't see anybody say anything. And I thought, well, I guess they're not going to miss seeing my face this morning. And then I walk in here and there they are sitting in, uh, <laughs> in the sanctuary. So got up early this morning and came to support. And I just am so grateful and so thankful. This, uh, those that, that prepare, who teach and preach know that it is not easy and that it takes a toll on more than just the individual who's teaching and preaching. There are times that I have to pull away and draw back, and even this trip, and, and I'm not complaining at all, but times where it takes me away, uh, but, uh, but they are so loving, so kind, so understanding of the call that Christ has put on my life, and so I cannot do and be what I am called to be through the power of the Holy Spirit without them in my life, and so I'm grateful to God for Karen, for Hannah, and for Jayla. Thank you so much. Look, Pastor did an excellent job of really kind of just setting the stage and, and uh, everything that he said, and the scripture that he read actually is the text for this morning as well, and even in the prayer, he touched on a lot of the themes. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm always wary of people who prepare to preach and teach, and, and they claim that they are going to give you the answer. I mean, unless the, unless the question is, how, how can a man be made right with God, right? Um, there are a lot of ins and outs, ebbs and flows, life situations and circumstances uh, that the Bible doesn't give the solution for as much as it gives the methodology, right? For how to weather, for how to move through these seasons. Uh, and, these, and, and that's what I'm hoping I've been praying that the Holy Spirit will help me do this morning as, uh, as I come with a sermon entitled, A Great Joy. And this is not, um, Pastor, you, you well know, and those of you, you know, uh, if we were to do a series on joy, we could probably do almost a year on just joy in the Bible, right? Biblical joy. Um, but my hope is, is, is that um, we as believers would cultivate a joy that is not tied to our feelings of happiness, but instead a joy that is rooted in God's redemptive work as revealed in his son, Jesus the Christ. That sounds real fancy and, and, and professional, but all we're trying to get to, right, is not having a joy that ebbs and flows with how I happen to feel on any given day. The text, as stated before, comes out of the second chapter of Luke, verses 10 and 11, and I'll read it just here. Uh, but the angel said to them, and this is the NASB, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Hmm. 
just real quick, just a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now asking that you would steady our hearts, clear our minds. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, and that is by the power of the word of God, transform us and renew our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. During uh, this time of year, <clears throat> many themes are associated with Christmas. Just last week, Pastor taught on peace, and this week we're going to talk about joy. And joy, of course, right, is a big part of this season. There are decorations that incorporate joy. There's a house not too far from our house. It's got big letters that are at least six feet tall, J-O-Y, and they, you know, they got the ropes that have tied them down so the thing doesn't blow away. Christmas cards at this time of year have, uh, you know, joy tied into the, the decorations on the cover or into some kind of saying or some type of little quote that's on that card. And of course, right, our Christmas carols we just sang this morning. It, it was not your mama's joy to the world, but we did sing joy to the world this morning, right? And, and all of that is rooted in the fact that joy was a pronouncement of the angel to the shepherds. This isn't something that we are reading into the Christmas story. This isn't something that, that now, looking back on it, we say, oh, they should have had joy because of this. But this is a specific pronouncement of the angel to the shepherds in the field that night. Not just joy, but great joy. And look, without doing a scientific survey, I believe that it can be stated rather uh, affirmatively and confidently that in general, like Pastor said last week, at this time of year, we try to treat others a little bit better during this season. We try our best to uh, express a little bit more concern and, and to show a little bit more compassion. We <clears throat> try to have a, an overall general sense of warmth, of positivity, of optimism uh, around about this time of year. On the one hand, we have what we've always had. We have some experiencing loneliness. We have some experiencing the passing of loved ones uh, that ultimately change how this holiday will be celebrated for them going forward and, and, and how it feels. We, we have individuals suffering from joblessness, financial loss as well, that also make this time of year more stressful, more difficult, more than joyful. But this year, specifically this year, all of these things seem to be magnified and accelerated. Why? Because we find ourselves in the midst of this pandemic. We find ourselves in the midst of uncertainty, a situation and a circumstance that not any of us, I would wager to say, have ever seen before. And it has taken these things that we always kind of experience during this time of year in some degree that, that have always been there, but it, it seems to have multiplied it so that now it is being experienced much more widely, Deacon McManus. It's being experienced much more deeply by us all. And real talk, when I look around, when I see the loneliness, the passing of loved ones, the joblessness, the sickness, the uncertainty and the upheaval, uh, and just the plain craziness, in the news and in our political system and our leaders, I am hard pressed to see, let alone experience, 
great joy that the angel pronounced. Hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, I see the poinsettias. I see the decorations. I see the tree. I know there's lights and decorations. There's presence underneath the tree. Sirius XM has now turned on all their holiday channels and holiday movies are showing up. And I know that it's the time for joy. But with all that's going on, it's hard to experience great joy. Yet and still, this angel sent at the direction of God under the authority of the God of the universe declares as true that because of what has happened in the city of David, the world now has access to a great joy. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I assert, I believe, I am confident that if we ever needed to understand how to experience, to understand how to grab hold of, to understand how to hang on to this great joy, it is in such a time as now. Now, before we get too far into this, I think some time must be spent discussing happiness and then highlighting the difference between being happy and having joy, specifically having biblical joy. Because I think we, and I'm including myself, that people in general have a tendency to get happiness and joy confused. So when we talk about happiness, happiness is a feeling of pleasure or contentment. It is an emotional reaction to something that happens to us or around us, and it is usually an immediate cause and effect. For example, for example, the birth of a child creates happiness, can create happiness. Promotion on your job can create happiness. Receiving a gift, especially if you didn't expect it, my family sitting in the, in the, in the audience here, brought about happiness, right? Eating your favorite food for some of us brings a little bit too much happiness. <laughs> Or when the running back of the Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry, delivers a grown man stiff arm to a member of the Colts defense, that creates happiness, Pastor. Ah, for me. And look, that last example, it actually highlights a couple of aspects of happiness that we don't often think about. One aspect of happiness that we don't often think about is that what makes me happy might not make you happy. <laughs> Look, I love eggnog. Look at my wife shaking her head. Look, they're shaking their head, Pastor. I, see, I love eggnog, but I'm also lactose intolerant. And every time this, every year this time, I get into a tight bind. Mm -mm. I told you I love my family. But I love eggnog. And at this time of year, I, look, I'm just going to tell you, I try to drink as much of it as I can. Because I know it's, it's going away. They don't sell eggnog all year round. It's, it's, it, it shows up on shelves and then all of a sudden it disappears. And I'm doing my best 
to spike their numbers so that they know we should maybe supply this more often. And I, and, I, and I drink as much of it as I can. And when I open the fridge and I see a new carton in there that Karen may have gotten for me, I get very happy. <laughs> but when my girls open the fridge and see a new carton of eggnog sitting in there, they could care less. Hmm. Because they don't prefer it, they don't desire it, they don't want it, it does not make them happy. Secondly, what makes me happy, this is an aspect we don't always think about, secondly, what makes me happy may even have to come at the expense of your happiness. Hmm, man, we don't think about that. We like the songs, don't worry, be happy. I'm happy when the Titans win which means someone who is a fan of the other team is unhappy because their team lost. But just as quickly as I can have joy for having experienced that win, that next Sunday, I can be unhappy because they lose and someone else can be happy because their team won. So at the end of the day, happiness is a fleeting feeling at best, tied to the comforts of life as we have defined them for ourselves. And by its nature, get this now, by its nature, happiness isn't sustainable. Meaning that since my life won't always be comfortable, I won't always be happy. Happiness also isn't transferable, meaning that being happy in one area of my life doesn't necessarily cancel out unhappiness in another area of my life, also, just because I'm happy about eggnog, I can't transfer that to my girls to be happy about eggnog. And lastly, <clears throat> it is not uh, consistent because it ebbs and flows with my life. Because the level of comfortability that I experience in my life also ebbs and flows. But on the other hand, biblical joy, not just kind of just joy that we kind of think is, is just really happiness, we just kind of call it joy, but biblical joy goes deeper. Biblical joy is more of an attitude than it is an emotion. It is an attitude that is adopted it isn't impacted by changing or shifting circumstances. Biblical joy isn't determined by how comfortable or uncomfortable I am in life. Biblical joy sustains us when happiness eludes us. Let me say that again. Biblical joy sustains us when happiness eludes us. Biblical joy isn't fleeting. It is sustainable and it can transcend all areas of our lives because it is tied to and rooted in the right things, namely the promises of God. And I would wager to say that many of us either have coupled our sense of joy with whether or not we're happy or not, 
which then ultimately anchors our joy to the same things that we anchor our happiness to, making it then hard for us to experience joy in Christ because our joy is rooted in our circumstances. Now, to be clear, in the text, the angel tells us explicitly what this great joy is anchored to. We don't have to guess. We don't have to do a lot of research. The angel says that this great joy is anchored to, it is tied to, it is rooted in the birth of Jesus. And not just a birth, but the birth of a Savior, a birth of the Messiah. But for us to appreciate fully this birth, for us to understand why we should then anchor our joy in this birth, we have to understand the context that led up to this birth. So we've got a great joy. What I'm going to present hopefully is a great problem, a great sorrow, and then a great event that then yields a great joy. So in the beginning, bear with me, I know you're going to think, I know these stories already, but listen to them again for the first time. In the beginning, God created a perfect planet. Everything that he made, he declared as good. And on this perfect planet, he created a paradise called Eden. And then within Eden, he puts an even more special place that we call the Garden of Eden. And here is where he puts man. Adam and Eve. Now, this space is special, right? Because it is in the Garden of Eden that we first see and we first understand God's desire to dwell with man. The crown of his creation, the part of his creation that is not only good because he declared it as such, but was also made in his own image, God's presence is in the Garden. Man is there and is now able to interact with God freely, nothing hindering them, nothing preventing Adam and Eve from having a relationship with God, from fellowshipping with God. They were in the garden with unfettered, unrestricted access to God with only one stipulation. They had to follow God's rules. And that only makes sense, right? I mean, think about it. God created the planet. He created this paradise region called Eden. He created this special place, the garden within Eden. He created Adam and Eve, whom he then places in the special place. And then he has the extremely reasonable expectation that those whom had, he had done so much for <laughs> and those who had not done anything to bring about their current situation would in turn then look at the one who had done all this for them and then would be happy to live according to his rules. But we know the story. In Genesis, in, three, in Genesis chapter 3, Eve chooses to believe the serpent. She chooses to believe the serpent who hadn't done anything for her over and above believing God who had placed her in paradise. She and eventually Adam desired to live themselves as gods instead of living under God. And in choosing their will, their way over and above God's will, a great problem developed. 
How can someone who wants to do only what they want to do all of the time live under the authority of another? A great problem developed. How can someone who doesn't want to listen to the God who created everything still have a right relationship with that God? But still desiring a relationship with his creation, God establishes a means by which man can still interact with him, namely the law, the temple practices, the sacrifices, and the feasts. But it is a poor shadow of what God originally attended and of what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. Not only is it a poor shadow, but going through all of the rituals, all of the ceremonies, following all of the laws only allowed the priest to enter into God's presence in the tabernacle or in the temple. And these rituals and these ceremonies had to be done regularly in order to maintain this right relationship with God. As a result of the sin, the fall in the garden, Man not only lost the access, not only lost the fellowship, not only lost the relationship that God had created, but sin and rebellion towards God begins to run rampant through the world. This sin not only deepens the divide between God and man, but it also corrupts the actual world, affecting life, introducing strife and discord and sickness and death experienced by everybody. And we see now that the great problem has now led to a great sorrow, a sorrow for the loss of the connection that man once had with God, a sorrow for constantly failing to uphold God's commandments, a sorrow for having to deal with sin in our lives and the impact that that sin has had upon this world, a sorrow based in the fact that man won't be able to break free from this kind of existence. Now, it should be clear that for man's plight, to get better, for a new pattern to be set, it will take a great event. Something outside of man himself to break the cycle of sin and set right those things made wrong. The prophets of the Old Testament all spoke of, they all pointed to and looked forward to the day when God, through his anointed one, would resolve the great problem, thus ending the great sorrow of the people. Enter Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, you may be thinking, what makes his birth a great event? Well, his birth is a great event because it is God moving on behalf of his creation to do something that we needed but that we couldn't do for ourselves. It is a great event because it is the means by which God himself enters into the world. God in flesh steps into time out of eternity to repair the broken relationship between him and his creation. It is a great event because Jesus is ushering in a new humanity, reborn in his image and not the old image of Adam. It is a great event because Jesus will break the stranglehold that sin and death has had on the world since the fall in the garden. Hmm. 
Why did I do that? Why did I do that? I did that because this would have been the context in which the shepherds would have heard and in which the angels would have proclaimed ha, the good news. Simply that the answer to your greatest problem and the end to your greatest sorrow appeared in a great event tonight. Oh, you got to spend some time and think about it. And because of what has happened in the city of David, the world now will have access to a great joy. Not a joy that depends on the circumstances of your life, but a joy that depends upon and is rooted in who Christ is. Let me help you out. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Christ is the one who has created all things through him and by him. Oh, and they were created for him. (laughs) Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. What are you telling me, Mel? He's everything, right? (laughs) He's holding it all together. He is the head of the church. Yeah, I know we think pastor is in charge, but what the scriptures tell us is, is that the church universal sits underneath the headship of Jesus Christ. Just in case you weren't sure about his credentials, how far back does he go? He is the beginning. (laughs) And that's it. He is the beginning. But our joy doesn't stop there. It's not only rooted in who Christ is, but it's also rooted in what Christ came to do. First John 3 tells us in verse 5 that he came to take away the sins of the world. Verse 8 in the same chapter of 1 John says he also came to destroy the works of the devil. Hmm. 1 John 4 and 14 says that he came to be the savior of the world. Back into Colossians 1 and 20, it says that he also came to reconcile all things back to God. That's not just me. That's not just you. That's all of us. That's also the little squirrel I saw out there. That's the grass, the trees, the sky. Everything is tainted by sin. And Christ is the one who comes and says, let me fix this and let me bring it back to what God had originally attended in the Garden of Eden. So our joy is not just rooted in who Christ is. Our joy is not just rooted in what he came to do. But our joy, you got to take this home, is rooted in who we are in Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us, if you don't know this chapter, you need to learn this chapter. Ephesians 1 tells us that because of Christ, we are blessed. A little bit, Pastor. We are blessed more than everyone else? Now, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. It tells us that we are chosen to be holy and blameless, that we have been adopted into the family of God, that we are freely given grace, that we have been redeemed, that we have been forgiven, that we have an inheritance. Man, you don't understand. And that we have been sealed in him by the Holy Spirit. Notice 
that none of these things rise and fall with my life circumstances. All of that has to do with Christ. Whether I'm on the mountaintop or in a valley low, who Christ is, what he came to do, and what I have in him never changes. For a believer in Christ, this is where our joy has to come from. We can't let the circumstances and the outcomes of a sin-sick world determine whether or not we have a foundation of joy in our lives. This does not mean we walk around acting like nothing is wrong. God created us with emotions. We do experience happiness in good times. We experience sadness in the bad times. But what it does mean is that we don't let the good times or the bad times dominate us and define us. And this goes both ways because if I let the good times dominate me, then I'm constantly chasing the next good time. I'm trying to find the next high. What's that new thing that I'm going to do that keeps me happy all the time, never wanting to come down? But on the other end, if I let the bad times dominate me, then I can fall into hopelessness and into depression. But when we're able to hold both of those things in the context of a joy that is rooted in Christ, then I can experience good times and say, man, this was a good time, but it's not as good as the time I will have in glory when I see my Jesus face to face. And on the other end, I can experience bad times and say, man, this truly is a bad time. But glory to God, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. My Jesus will come see about me in the midnight hour because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But hmm, if by chance my bad times take me up out of here, it won't matter even then because my tears will all be wiped away when I see my Jesus face to face. And I don't know if I'll remember, Pastor, what it is that took me out, but I'm confident that I will recognize the one who brought me in. Family, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Hmm. If you're dealing with loneliness, if you're dealing with sadness, if you're dealing with grief, now or at any time, I'm not standing here telling you that you shouldn't feel those things, that those feelings aren't real. But what I am telling you is that those feelings don't have to define you. They don't have to control you. They don't have to dictate how you live your life. And they don't have to determine whether or not you have joy. In the text, get this, them having great joy had nothing to do with their status in life. They were shepherds the previous night. They were shepherds on that night. And guess what? Likely they were shepherds the next night. Dealing with whatever shepherds have to deal with. Still having to put up with sheep. Still having to watch after those sheep. Still being at the bottom of the rung of the social economic stature at that time. But in that moment, everything changed. 
They had a joy that wasn't built upon what mass and what they could acquire. They had a joy that didn't care what their status in life was. They had a joy that didn't depend upon which way the wind happened to be blowing that day. They had a joy that wasn't based on what they could or couldn't control. They had a joy that didn't tie itself to mountain experiences and then run and hide in valley experiences. They had a joy that couldn't be shaken by presidents and congressmen and governors and mayors. They had a joy they wasn't determined by how many likes they got on social media, but they had a joy that was rooted in this one thing. For that night unto them was born in the city of David a Savior, a Messiah had come. Amen, amen, and amen. Hmm. Church family. Yeah, there is great joy, great joy in Jesus Christ. And don't, don't get it confused. We're not saying that Jesus makes all your problems go away. But what Jesus does is he solves your biggest problem. And that is not being connected with God. Some of us are tossed to and fro because of what somebody did, what somebody said, what's happening at work, what's happening here, all these things. And you can tell <laughs> where your joy is anchored by how the waves of life move your ship. But some of us are tossed to and fro because we don't even know where to anchor our ship. Enter Jesus of Nazareth. Look, if you are here, if you're watching at home, Jesus is not just a cute story that we tell at Christmas time. He's not just a babe in the manger who came to try to get everybody to love one another. He is not just a good teacher. He's not just throwing out some ways you can possibly live your life if you want to have success. But he came to resolve the great problem that man had. And that is that we had a fractured, broken relationship with God. And God, to his credit, wanted to heal that relationship. And so he sent us himself. Don't get me wrong, it's nice to have the decorations. There's nothing wrong. It's definitely nice to share and exchange the gifts. Nothing wrong. But what would be wrong is to come in and out of this season, never once asking, who is Jesus to me? And so that question stands before us today. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the anchor for your joy? Or is he just another reason for the season where we get caught in the consumerism and the buying and the giving and the exchanging and the hustle and the bustle? But as soon as this gets done, 
It's back to me. Seeking after happiness my own way. Trying to maintain joy my own way. If you don't have a good answer, if you're not satisfied with your answer of who Jesus is to you, this time is for you. You can see me after service. You can see pastor after service. If you're here, if you are at home watching, there'll be some information at the end of the broadcast and you can contact the church and we would be honored, happy and blessed to help you answer that question. Church family, hmm, there is great joy in the birth of Jesus Christ. Be determined to anchor yourself to that joy. Amen.